So th- this situation with cats, like, <laughs> I I don't think I've seen the internet kind of unite around one pop culture uh, thing in at least a couple of months. I think the last time it happened was for the Sonic the Hedgehog trailer. Yes. Because uh, people, like, people who have been paying attention to movie development know that uh, a Cats adaptation was in the works for, like, at least, a, I don't know, half a year or something, you know, that some of the casting had been announced and people knew that Tom Hooper from uh, Les Mis had been hired to direct it. But then the trailer drops and <laughs> it was terrifying. Yeah. And like, you know, everything from the the scale of the characters to the sets, like they decided to put uh, these like humanoid cat characters inside like a, a, a scale version of London. Yeah. You know, where everything is like human sized and that these characters are cat sized, but then they look like miniature people with cat fur. Yeah. And the tails and just um, the fact that they're just like pretty much protruding from their butts was kind of unnerving. Yeah. Yeah. One person was like, you know, I've looked at a lot of cats in my life and uh, not one of them has a tail grown out of its ass. <laughs> I know, right? It's like every character in that movie has a butt plug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and just like the shape of these cats, like it, it raises so many like existential questions. There's like even a shot of like a cat in front of a milk bar. Oh yeah. And you're kind of, you're kind of running like, do cows exist in this world? Is it like all pure cat milk or like, have have you ever seen the play by the way? No, I mean like I, the, I hadn't really thought about the musical at all for like, I, I don't even know, like 15 years. I think the last time I thought about it was... They, I think on like an old Disney VHS, like I don't even know if it was like a, v, a right. VHS tape, you know, where they used to have the trailers at the beginning of every tape. Right. And I'm pretty sure one of them was advertising the like filmed adaptation or the filmed version of uh, Cat's performance. And that was like my only, my only knowledge of this musical at all. And here it comes like roaring back. Now, knowing what you know about this film already and having seen the trailer... Are you more or less inclined to see it compared to before? Oh, less inclined. I, I don't think there was a high chance of me seeing it anyway, because I can't really call myself a, right. a fan of musicals. I'll I'll go to see like a stage one. Really? I'll go to see a I stage one. Like musicals. Well, like I, I love La La Land and, you know, I love yeah. old school Hollywood musicals. But it like this, <laughs> like Andrew Lloyd Webber, not really my thing generally. It's funny for this trailer to come out now because it it feels like uh, this weekend was one that was sort of defined by not so positive reactions to digital cats. Um, yes, which we'll which we'll get into deeper in the episode. Okay, that's a good segue. Let's start the show. Welcome to the 54th episode of the Extra Buttery Podcast. We have a jam-packed episode in which we touch upon Disney's two newest remakes, some industry news with Netflix and Disney+, and for the first time in nine years, we have a new champion at the global box office. So without further ado, my name is Jason Chen in Vancouver, and I'm joined by my co-host Robert Snow in Toronto. You went to see uh, Lion King. Yeah, I did. So I went to see it, I think it was... Friday evening, so we're recording this on a Sunday. Uh, Friday was technically the the opening of Lion King, and uh, went with my couple members of my family uh, because you know I think we we all grew up watching Lion King. You know, it came yes. out when I was five, I think. It's probably my favorite classic Disney animation film. 
Yeah, it may you know, and thinking back, it may actually be the very first thing I ever saw in the theater. I kind of have memories of that as well, but as my parents told me, it's probably not the first film I've ever seen in theaters. But it's definitely the one that last like had the most lasting impact on me when I walked out. Yeah, yeah. So then you know, along like twenty or so odd years later, along comes this remake. Everything you see exist together in a delicate balance. While others search for what they can take, a true king searches for what he can give. People have been probably focusing a lot of buzz on this this particular remake more so than some of the others because it Lion King kind of occupies a spot in the Disney canon that's a few notches ahead of some of their other things from the 90s, I think. it's yeah. it, it kind of, it was one of those movies that really made it clear that Disney was back after a period in the 70s and 80s where they hadn't been putting out quite so much good stuff. And, uh, and of course, you just look at the sheer, like, aftermarket of this movie in terms of toy sales and the musical that's grossed, like, billions of dollars on Broadway and the West End and uh, other parts of the world. So they had like a pretty, they had pretty big shoes to fill with this thing. But I don't know, this, I I left the theater pretty disappointed. I don't know about you, but. <laughs> I, that doesn't surprise me, Rob. I think I, I even like teased this like way before when these movies were announced. First of all, I don't see the point in remaking these films. And second of all, n- nothing really ever beats the original. And I think we t- talked about this too, but. There's certain things with hand-drawn animation or even CGI animation where it's not photorealistic. There are a lot of things that you can stretch, um, whether it's like the eyes of the animal, it's it's gestures, it's movements. Because the problem with this Lion King, and you can probably speak more to this than me, the animals and the environments are too realistic. So it's odd to see them sort of break out in song. Well, I think I was thinking about a couple of the kind of uh, there was a side by side that that of uh, the Hakuna Matata song uh, from I think it, it hit Twitter like I don't know maybe a, a week or so ago when the the first clip of the new version of Hakuna Matata came out and someone had just like set the original version and the new version next to each other in a video frame and it became clear really quick that one of the huge things that we're missing out on in this remake is the anthropomorphization or anthropomorphic yes. behavior um, in the cartoons. And it's yes. it's something that you may not have noticed on like a first watch through of the original animated one. But there's all these ex- times when the the animal characters will like stand up on their hind legs or they'll do a dance. Yes. Or like in Hakuna Matata, uh, Simba like uh, jumps into a pool by like hanging onto a vine with his teeth. Like that's something that a lion would never do in real life. And like Puma does a jump that kind of looks like an Olympic diver where he does like this perfect dive into like a little teeny ripple of water. Like again, something that a warthog would never do. Yeah. It's the element of fun that's yeah, taken totally. away. And and I I talked about this too with Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. There's certain things you just can't replicate with live action film. Yeah. There's certain feelings and emotions and colors and movements that you just can never replicate, which is why I always think animation should be a genre of its own. Mm-hmm. And I don't think like for Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, if you filmed it live action, kind of frame for frame as it appears and make it realistic with all the physics and stuff, it, it loses a lot of its appeal. It loses a lot of its funness 
if that's a word even. And just to bet in, and we can go back to Lion King, but I felt the same way with Aladdin. You stumbled upon an opportunity. I can make you rich. Rich enough to impress a princess. What would I have to do? There's a cave of wonders. Bring me the lamp. So I saw this fairly late. I didn't have the time and I wasn't too, too keen on it. But I brought myself to see it. And the genie, Will Smith's genie, and the element of fun that Robin Williams um, brought to the screen and even Abu, Abu and Iago and the tiger pet that Jasmine has, um, none of them had the same sort of effect, level, same level of fun as the original animated version. Yeah, because like, you know, you remember how even like a, uh, a character in either of those original movies, if they were reacting in like a dialogue scene, they would like, they, you know, their faces almost look like rubber. They kind of like, yeah, you know, they, yeah. they, they pull these like really exaggerated expressions. And, you know, it's it, it's something that you may not really register in the moment, but it's actually having a pretty big impact on how you're relating to the character. Yeah, so there is a side-by-side shot of the new Lion King with Mufasa and Simba, like full-grown lions. I couldn't really tell them apart. Like, you mm-hmm. really have to look closely to see yeah. that they're different. But in the cartoon, it's you can use different colors, different facial features. But when you're trying to make lions look realistic and different at the same time, it's really difficult. Because I think our eyes just aren't trained to notice those differences. Like, not everyone has seen a lion in real life. No, no. But I mean, you know, if you look at footage of like multiple male lions next to each other in like a nature documentary, you can tell that they all like for the uh, like maybe the exception of like maybe a scar here or like a a weird tuft of hair there. They all kind of look the same. I also found the music and the plot very flat. It might be because we've already know what's coming and what's going to go on. But there was a genuine lack of excitement, a a genuine lack of emotion in these films like I found Aladdin super boring, and I remember the cartoon being, like, super active and fun and exciting, and it pulls you in all sorts of different directions, whereas this is all just very one-note and flat. And I said this about Aladdin, too. Like, the colors they use for the costumes is great, but nothing else matches that brightness. And if you're into studying sort of drawings and animation, there are certain rules that Um, sort of guide you in in sort of how to draw villains and heroes. So, like, heroes will have, like, the square jaw around their face, more proportionate. Mm -hmm. Villains will have, like, you know, longer chins, slender eyes that are maybe more slanted or sharp. It's hard to get that feeling just based on looks in live action. So, Jafar and Aladdin, I thought, was one of the most boring and uncompelling characters that I've ever come across. (laughs) <laughs> um, but if you remember, Jafar in the cartoon was terrifying. He he really had embodied this sort of like slinky snake yeah. sort of uh, movement to him. And same with Iago. Iago was famously voiced by, I think, Gilbert Gottfried. And, and people found him annoying. But he really added another element to that film that was really missing from the Iago in the live action. Because all the... The Iago in the live action was actually like a parrot where he just repeated certain things. It didn't feel like he had a consciousness of his own. Lion King is a similar problem where uh, their version of Scar, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor, the character wise, in terms of design, he looks like a scuffed up, like more uh, beat up kind of lion. Uh, So you can tell him apart visually, but not all the time. 
And mm-hmm. then when it came to the performance, it felt like uh, for I don't even know, like, if he, was he phoning it in? Was he being trying to be too subtle? Um, it it's felt like there was just there wasn't any of the kind of like um, overacting that Jeremy Irons put into his Scar performance in the original cartoon. Like mm-hmm. you think about the way Scar talks to char- to other characters in in the original movie, he's got this kind of like preening, like overdone kind of delivery that that really contributes to his character. I was actually my sister who uh, was with us uh, at the screening I was at, and she pointed out that the new version of the Be Prepared song from The Lion King, it's it's basically like, I don't even know, maybe a third of the length of the original. They cut out yeah. all of the um, the kind of like edgy Nazi, Nazi imagery, which was, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was edgy for the time, but it uh, but it said a lot about, it, it, it gave it the whole thing another layer for the adults who were watching who would understand those references. The future is littered with prizes. And though I may the point that I must emphasize is You won't get a sniff without me So prepare for the cool of the century Be prepared for the murkiest scam That's interesting because the same Nazi imagery pops up in Star Wars with the Empire. Yeah, and the First Order in the later movies. Yeah, yeah, First Order, sorry. Um, but I guess the joke's on us because Lion King did $185 million in its opening weekend. Yeah, so, I, and, you know, I, uh, listening to some of the the other people in the screening with me, like, it was clear that the kids in the audience were enjoying it, you know, maybe how many of them maybe haven't seen the original at all. So for them, it was the first time they'd ever seen talking and singing uh, African savanna animals. And what's with this thing about Can You Feel the Love Tonight being sung in broad daylight? Yeah, they sing it in basically like, I mean, maybe the argument is that it's almost night, but <laughs> it's like the evening, <laughs> but it's... Can you feel the love in almost yeah, night? So it's, but it does happen when the sun is fully out. And it, again, just like the Be Prepared song, it feels cut off really early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unlike a traditional musical where like the song is kind of like woven into the fabric of the movie this feels like they basically uh clicked play on a an ipod ran it for a few seconds and then they were like all right next bit but for all of the like the feeling of songs being cut off too early in this movie somehow the total runtime was still half an hour longer than the original movie yeah that's nuts to me i mean if you're doing it frame for frame it should be like within minutes of each other right yeah yeah i felt that way in aladdin too where a whole new world i felt was a lot shorter than i remember i also thought that like um james earl jones and maybe he can't he can't really be faulted for this because he's like 30 years older now than he was when he did the original narration for mufasa but it really felt like he his heart wasn't in this performance he he had a lot of the the exact same lines to say but the the Bufasa performance felt a whole lot less commanding and sonorous and kind of there's a bit where Simba gets in trouble because he kind of disobeys Mufasa. And in the original cartoon, when Mufasa kind of yells out Simba's name, it kind of echoes on the soundtrack for a little bit. But in this version, it's kind of just a quick like Simba, you know, and it did, it doesn't really kind of fill you with with fear or dread or anything. Yeah, I definitely get that, too, because. The, remember in Aladdin where Genie parades Aladdin down the streets of Agrabah as like the new yep. prince? That that parade alone felt really subdued compared to the original. 
And I wonder if it's because the animation itself isn't just as expressive as hand-drawn anim- animation. What happens next? I mean, we're getting the Little Mermaid, so there's Sebastian and Flounder, yep. right? Yep. And I don't know how they're going to make that work, especially since you can't talk underwater. Flounder's a fish. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you're going to be realistic, it's, it's going to be weird. Yeah. And then that means you effectively ruled out Bambi and Robin Hood. Two of the most iconic uh, Disney films. Yeah, from the earlier years, yeah. Exactly. And now what you're stuck with is like witches and and fairy tales. So like we're getting the Maleficent movie. Yep. Probably going to get Snow White at some point. Like I I can't imagine. Mulan doesn't have Mushu the dragon. So already that's like one comedic element gone that they're going to have to replace. Yep. So I'm really curious. I the thing with Disney is that all the films are very well made. Like, technically, there's nothing wrong with them. Oh, yeah. No complaints there. No. Yeah. But but just it lacks that special Disney magic that they always talk about. The last thing I'll say about Lion King is that um, there's one crucial thing missing from as, as hyper real as the animals are in this movie. Like, it basically looks like you're watching a... A nature documentary at times. Yeah. Do you know what I'm th- what I'm thinking of? There's one detail about the uh, the lions that's missing. They eat bugs. No, no, no. I mean, you know, they they eat bugs in the in the original one. So that that was a bit of a, a fiction. Well, let me guess. Let me guess. Okay. Okay. okay, okay. So so it's something about to do with the lions, and yes. they somehow can't animate it like the original cartoon. I'm talking about like animal anatomy here oh okay <laughs> i'm my mind's going to like dirty places now. no go to the dirty place go oh. to the dirty place oh, okay so i guess when lana nala and simba meet together they kind of like roll through the leaves together yeah Does, is that what you're talking about uh close but uh basically what i'm talking about is none of the male lions have visible reproductive organs <laughs> Their genitals are gone. They've been neutered. <laughs> we should do that with the cats in the cats movie. Neuter all of them. But they like. But the female cats in the cats movie have uh, boobs. So what? Yeah, like the female. Oh, cats, oh in the they, cats movie. Okay, yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking about like Nala. No, no, no. But but I so because I'm pretty sure. Like I've seen more than a few nature documentaries in my time, and I'm pretty sure the male lions, when you turn them around, <laughs> you can see the family jewels, as it were. And Disney has very clearly decided that these lines can't have that. Maybe because they want to avoid some awkward questions from the well, kids. Well, I guess there's a drawback to having your voice. It's kind of like when Little Mermaid gave up her mermaid life for her voice or her voice for her land life. Uh, maybe if you want to talk as animals, you need to give up your reproductive organs. Apparently, yeah. But uh, I just thought it was funny that, you know, they had, they'd spared no expense. They'd animated every hair on Pumbaa's head and mm-hmm. and every feather on Zazu. But they had to make some uh, some chops, quite literally. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that you... I mean, we're going to have to go back and watch a Jungle Book again. But I think Christopher Walken's orangutan has the same problem. Mm, yeah, yeah. Like, it should be visible, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not a problem in animation because you can just chalk it up to artistic license. You know, the characters are exaggerated. They don't have to yeah, look exactly. exactly like anything. Speaking of their success in the box office, finally, we can knock Avatar off the number one spot. What was it they needed? They It came down to like... 500000 $500,000. So they're going to make that this weekend. If they haven't already, they're going to unseat Avatar. Kevin Feige, when he took over Hall H, which is like the big exhibition hall at San Diego Comic-Con, announced basically announced that um, even before the official numbers are out, that Avengers Endgame is the newest movie 
um, to take number one spot as the highest grossing movie of all time. Mm. I think this is a great development because I, as you very well know, I dislike Avatar very much. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that Avengers Endgame is a great film, but it is a culmination of 10 to 15 years of built up hype and fandom and very much, a, I think, a generational sort of intellectual property because it spanned basically an entire young adult's life already. Yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, Avatar is kind of like, you know, created from semi-whole cloth, but it yeah. it almost fluked its way into the number one yeah. box office position. And had Avengers Endgame not been re-released... Um, in mid-June, I think it was, with the new footage and the new end credit scene, I don't think they would have broken this record. So I, I think this is just not necessarily further proof, but validation for what Marvel and Disney doing what they did. Which brings up a next point, which is Disney+. Plus. As announced at Comic-Con, Disney has a whole slew of Marvel stuff coming up. Oh boy, do they ever. What was it like? They put maybe 10 different titles on the screen at uh, their presentation? Yeah, and half of them are going to be TV series. They announced a bunch of new projects, one of which the most surprising to me was Blade with Mahershala Ali mm, already yeah. signed on to play the titular character. That is awesome. Yeah, that's a great choice by them. Like, you know, Mahershala is at the top, at the height of his like career right now. Um, everyone loves him. He's got such a range in the number of characters that he plays. And Blade itself is a very edgy character compared to like a very much PG-rated Avengers. Yep. And so I'm curious as to how they handle that because when Disney first came out, they were like no hard R, no 18A movies. Now that's slightly changing a little um, because they folded in all this Marvel property that features a roster of very violent characters, some of them. And so we're going to have that. We're going to have Black Panther 2. We're going to have Captain Marvel 2. We're going to have WandaVision. We're going to have Winter Soldier and um, the Falcon. We're going to get a Black Widow movie. But whoever talks about superhero fatigue or has suffered from it has all of a sudden like found a new wave of hype <laughs> yeah yeah it's not like this thing is going away or anything like that no no but i mean mahershala ali playing blade does that mean like the marvel tv series from netflix is like just not gonna be canon yeah th i think they're just uh they're they're kind of pretending like those series don't exist because they're i think disney pretty much treats them as being more netflix productions than marvel productions at this point Right, right. Was there one that really like made you excited? I was well, I was kind of impressed that like, you know, they could have gone an easy an easier path, I guess you could say, by just um doing more sequels with the characters we already know, but they seem to be embracing the really wild, weird cosmic characters that are, you know, if you had said 20 years ago that Marvel was going to do like a 150 million dollar or 200 million dollar movie about the Eternals, I think people would have mm -hmm. laughed you out of the room because those characters, I don't even know them very well. I, I had to pull up a, an article just to yeah, like, brief myself on, <laughs> on this whole series. Um, and then meanwhile, they're with some of their more established characters. They're also doing crazy stuff. Like they got this subtitle for the Doctor Strange sequel that. Oh, uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. That sounds kind of nutty. Um, they're going to be adapting the female Thor arc from Thor for the uh, for the fourth one in that series directed by Taika Waititi. They got yeah. uh, Natalie Portman back to play Jane Foster. She's actually going to get the powers of Thor yeah. for that. That's going to be interesting. Um, sort of rolling it back with Doctor Strange. So Scarlet Witch is going to be there. So that's Elizabeth Olsen. 
Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I freaking love that title. And then the Thor title is um, Love and Thunder, I believe. Yeah, which sounds like uh, appropriately heavy metal. Yeah, and just appropriate in that um, Natalie Portman is back. Um, I have no doubt that she is back because she saw what Ragnarok became and she totally trusts Taika Waititi and that whatever um, rift between her and Marvel with in regards to Patty Jenkins has been smoothed over. Yeah, yeah. Um, I am a little curious as to how her as female Thor would work, though. Um, not that appearances are everything, but Natalie Portman is not the first person I would think of in terms of a female superhero. No, and, and it was funny to kind of watch her come out on stage uh, during the announcement. With the hammer? <laughs> it's like bigger than her head. Yeah, and she like she kind of looks at it like, I, I don't know, I mean, maybe maybe I'm reading too much into... Uh, what I saw in the footage, but it seemed like she was uh, she was just a little bit uh, apprehensive of the decision that she'd made where, you know, I, I think she's always had a little bit of a she hasn't really integrated with the Marvel Comics fans in the same way that some of the other actors have. No. And she's always held it at, at a little bit of arm's length. So maybe she's still not totally comfortable with the idea. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe because I mean, if you remember, she like. When she did Star Wars, she was in her, like, mid-teens, wasn't she? Starting, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so she she might have been, like, really wary of joining such a huge franchise. And, I mean, once you step into Hall H with all these, like, crazy Marvel fans, I can see why it could be pretty intimidating. Oh, yeah, and it's, like, it's also a huge departure artistically from the kind of stuff that she's been doing recently. Yeah. Like, you know, indie movies like Vox Lux and yeah. Jackie and, and things yeah. like that. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure it's uh, it poses a very different challenge for her. Does this mean you're going to get Disney Plus? Because this feels like I'm going to get Disney Plus at some point. How about this? You get Disney Plus and you share your code with me. <laughs> so what are you going to share with me then? Criterion channel, I guess. Okay. <laughs> all right. Fine. Done deal. Uh, because uh, no, I the, between all the stuff on Netflix and all the stuff on Amazon Prime and, oh, it's and Criterion channel, I just don't have enough hours in the day to, to be watching like uh, however, to, just to start, like they've got these four uh, Marvel themed shows. They're going to have the Star Wars themed show. Meanwhile, they're like DC is doing its own stuff. They've got this cool, like um, traditionally animated Harley Quinn uh, series coming to DC Universe. Which looks kind of fun. Marvel's uh, What If, which is like their new TV show, is going to be animated too, eh? And with the original cast, like everyone's going to provide the voice of their character counterparts. Oh, cool. All right. Yeah. So uh, Michael B. Jordan's going to be back. And it's basically a show. I think the premise is like, or what if Killmonger was successful? Uh, What if he led Wakanda? Or, you know, what if um, Peggy Carter was the Captain America instead of, um, Steve Rogers. Right. Um, that, that kind of stuff, which I think is a very interesting direction to go into. Yeah. Well, that kind of taps into all the, the kind of weird one-off comics that have come out over the years. So, uh, there's definitely like some, uh, some material to go on there. And speaking of streaming, I think it, we have to talk about Netflix a little bit too. This week, Netflix announced its earnings and like the big headline was that, oh, Netflix lost a bunch of subscribers in the US, Um, a total of about 100,000. And people are like, well, this is it. Netflix has lost their footing. Disney's coming out with their streaming service. Right. Um, Amazon's hitting its stride. Crave is hitting its stride. This is the beginning of the end for Netflix. While I don't disagree that this is potentially a turning point, keep in mind that Netflix still has a bunch of subscribers. And a lot of people said, well, you know what? Well, I think these people quit Netflix because they raised the price. Well, if you look at it that way, fine. But if you increase the price by 
20%, which is what they did, and you lose less than 1% of your viewership, I'd say that's a pretty good result. Yeah, that's better than a lot of businesses could expect for a similar kind of price hike. And exactly. So in regards to Netflix, there's still a lot of inelasticity there where like people are still married to Netflix as their streaming service. I don't doubt that their numbers, their growing numbers will start to slow down and because, I mean, just look at Disney Plus's slate. I mean, it's incredible. But the big franchise Netflix is betting on next is The Witcher. Yeah, so this adaptation of uh, the Polish series of fantasy novels, uh, which was made into a very well-reviewed uh, series of games, um, mm-hmm. although more of those reviews are are about the, the most recent iteration, The Witcher 3, by CD Projekt Red. Um, yeah, they've they've been in production on this for a while, and they got Henry Cavill uh, as the the uh, the leading role, um, Geralt of Rivia, I think it is. I haven't played the game, so I'm not super familiar. He's ripped, eh? Like more so than a Superman. Uh, they they're really yeah they're really going for like the beefcake look on that, and uh, <laughs> they yeah just just looking at Twitter and like seeing some of the um, uh, the the man lovers out there, women and men, um, reacting to <laughs> the the footage of uh, of Henry Cavill shirtless was uh, was kind of funny. What are your expectations with this? The the obvious roadmap is Game of Thrones. Yes. Um, even in the trailer, they make a comment about how chaos is like an opportunity. Not chaos is a ladder, but chaos is an opportunity, <laughs> um, which I found really funny and I think a little too on the nose, but it looks like there's a ton of production value in it. And honestly, Netflix needs a lot of these big hits to stay relevant and stay afloat. Yeah, I think it, it'll be a slightly different experience from Game of Thrones because... I think so too. I'm pretty sure both the novels and, and maybe the video game as well, they're a lot more centered around that main role of Geralt. And mm-hmm. whereas Game of Thrones has this huge web of interconnected threads and characters yeah. and none of the characters are safe and you're always trying to figure out like who's going to be the next on the chopping block. With this, like you have... a there's a lot more plot armor around the central character unless they decide to, there's a lot of monsters. Yeah. Too, there's eh? like a monster hunting vibe. So it's not quite the same kind of medieval society, politics, um, that kind yes. of thing. Uh, but yeah, just in terms of like the, the setting and the fantasy themes and all of that, it's, it's clearly making a play for the game of Thrones fans out there. Yeah. With, with Netflix, like they clearly, they've got this threat from Disney plus on the horizon, you know, the service hasn't launched yet, but I imagine, you know, they're just going to keep up with their current pace. They're going to keep acquiring indie movies and documentaries. Uh, they've got, uh, other than The Witcher, they've got a, a bunch of series in development. Uh, some stuff from the Obamas, I think, is a, for the nonfiction side of things. Wait, like an Obama documentary? Like a series of documentaries that the Obamas are executive producing. About, oh, like, I see, I see. Yes, know, okay, uh, yeah topics in American life or something. They have all the money in the world to burn at this point. So I, I really don't think that that they're in trouble by any means. But it will be really cool to see just how well Disney Plus does. We also got two more IPs I want to talk about. The first one is It Chapter 2. You want to see It Chapter 2? I figured that would be far from your normal wheelhouse. I do and I don't. So I didn't see It in theaters. Did you? No, I didn't. Uh, the That kind of like... Um, uh, of like jump scare type of horror is not usually my thing. I was obviously scared shitless. And <laughs> so I refused to watch it in theaters, but it was always, it was on Netflix for a while, I think. So I, I watched bits and pieces, just like what I could take. And some clips showed up on YouTube. So I watched those. It's not really jump scary. It's more freaky. Oh, okay. Um, it's very unsettling. And so it chapter two gives me much of the same vibes, but 
even with all the freakiness and the blood and the gore, I thought it was like it was hard to look away for someone who doesn't like huh. horror. It was hard to look away. So yeah. I see the appeal. And the same with chapter two, where I'm like, oh, I'm really curious about this Pennywise the clown and these kids coming back after 27 years. I'm very curious as to what happens. I, I'm not saying I'll watch it in theaters. It's probably a no, to be honest. Yeah. But yeah. I'm very curious as to where it goes. If it's good, I'm definitely be more inclined to see it. If I were to have a motivation to see it, it would be because I've heard that some of the, the mythology behind the character is more of the kind of folk horror type of thing. It is very much so, yes. That I really like from stuff like The Wicker Man or Midsommar, which I, I talked about on the last episode. Um, yeah. And, and that, that kind of horror I feel like I have a stronger connection to than your typical kind of Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street kind of thing. Yeah, I mean... That's slasher horror. I, I don't appreciate that kind of stuff. But if you read Stephen King's books, they're not jump scare books either, eh? Like, it's always that, like, that's that impending sense of doom that he creates so well. Um, I think really translated to the first It movie. Um, so, chapter two has me intrigued, to say the right. least. But the trailer that dropped at Comic-Con that had me the most excited, and I sent you this link right away, was Top Gun. Top Gun Maverick, yeah. The end is inevitable, Maverick. Your kind is headed for extinction. Maybe so, sir. But not today. Oh my god, I cannot wait. Uh, yeah, I think you tweeted from the, the Kinetoscope account, like, get hype! Or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah I've, I've done that for a couple uh, trailers and movies. But... Uh, I don't know about you, but what did you think of the original? I, I mean, I like the original. I'm pretty sure I I think I watched it on TV once when it was airing. I think. Yeah. For all its yeah. flaws, it's a very rewatchable yeah, it, movie. Because it, 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 you know, it's a Tony Scott directed like that. That guy had a mm -hmm. instinctive kind of control over action movie making. Yes. Very much so. He was able to kind of capture in Tom Cruise like a very early star vehicle type of performance mm -hmm. that uh, that kind of launched everything that came afterwards for for Cruise. And there's just so many quotable moments and like <laughs> yeah. um, and action sequences in it that that just stick in your brain. And I feel like now the benefit of all of the work that Cruise has done in the in, in the years in between on you know the Mission Impossible movies and everything else in his career, he's probably going to kind of step up with this one and deliver like probably the best possible version of Top Gun that we could ever want. Yeah, so I think a couple things that really set this movie up to be better than the original. For, for First of all, the, the director is Joseph Kaczynski, who did Oblivion with Tom Cruise. Um, yeah, and I like that movie. Yeah, and I think the movie had its flaws, but I think the look and the feel itself of that universe that he crafted was the best part of that movie. With the advancements in in camera work, in design, I mean, we saw in the trailer that I thought the jet uh, fighter sequences were awesome. Yeah, like when you see them coming around the bend in that one shot, and they're they're you're getting like the sonic cone around them uh, as they they, yeah. as they hit uh, the speed of sound, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, like there there seemed to be a, like a really a really nice look just to the. Uh, the action scenes that I feel like is uh, is definitely improving on the original. Yeah, the dash cams on the fighter planes. Remember in the original Top Gun 2, if you watch it closely, some of the fighter jet um, dogfights, the footage is recycled. Right. Uh, because they just didn't have enough 
back then. So I we won't get the same problem now. So for one thing, the dogfights I think are going to be way, way, way better. Oh yeah, and they're they'll be able to use CGI in certain spots to kind of enhance what they get from like the real footage. Exactly. Yeah, and there's enough nostalgia in there. I mean, he shows off the old bike. He shows off the old bomber jacket. Miles Teller plays Goose's son, so there's going to be a callback to that. Yeah, you get like a generational conflict. Yeah, Val Kilmer's reportedly going to be in it. I don't think his role is going to be huge. I actually think that's the funeral scene that they tease in the trailer is Iceman. Yeah, there's a few people who thought that, yeah. Obviously, Tom Cruise is going to go through the same sort of like conflict again with his superiors and, you know, his underlings now that he's seen as like the senior guy. Um, I think... There's a scene where I think he was talking with Ed Harris and Ed Harris is talking about how his generation is extinct. I think that has to do with unmanned vehicles. And I think the final conflict has to involve um, some unmanned plane getting shot down or being ineffective and they have to mobilize these old fighters. And Tom Cruise, obviously being the hero, jumps in and saves the day. And Kenny Loggins, too, I think, is recording a newer version of Highway to the Danger Zone. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> so in the trailer, too, you get the, I think it was Beach Football um, with Glenn Powell. So it hits every single mark that the old movie did or the previous movie did, but just crank it up to 10 with better technology, a wider range of characters and actors. And I... As a big fan of fighter jets, because I think they look so cool, I, I cannot wait for this movie. I really cannot. This would look so great in a big screen. Oh, yeah. Full on IMAX. Like, I, I imagine IMAX is going to have a, a, a version of this in their theaters. So the only thing that I wonder about is the like, how are they going to handle the politics in the movie? Because I remember the the enemy fighter uh, pilots from the original movie were always a little bit vague. Like it wasn't clear exactly what country they were from or what the. It's just mix. We knew, yeah, we knew that they were like Russian-made planes, but we didn't know what nation was really flying them. And it was it was unclear exactly like what had happened to create the crisis that forms the um, the final dogfight mm -hmm. and what the what the circumstances of that were were going to be. Um, it didn't so, matter then. <laughs> it doesn't it didn't matter, matter now. Then, no. You just want to see um, them fly. So then, yeah, will will this new movie maybe trip up by giving us too little or too much information on that score? I don't know. Actually, did you know that Joseph Kaczynski is also the guy who directed Only the Only Brave? Only the Brave. Oh, is that that firefighter movie with Josh Brolin? Yeah, yeah, with Josh Brolin. And Jennifer Connelly's in it, and she's in oh, okay. this Top Gun as well. By the way, the moment she showed up on that trailer, like, for a split second, I was just sold. I was like, please, just take my money. <laughs> um, I can see this being a movie... I can see multiple times on a big screen just because it's hard to find a movie that brings you so close to the action kind of like how what fury road did where it really puts you in the driver's seat really puts you right in front there's only one last thing i want to touch on and that's watchmen coordinated simultaneous attacks at the homes of tulsa pd so the cops hide their faces and now the bad guys don't know where they live and who doesn't want a secret identity so this is HBO's new show, and it's set 30 years after Zack Snyder's movie. So there's a lot of continuity there. And so what happens is basically the gist of it is that remember in the end of Watchmen how Rorschach writes everything in this diary that exposes the truth, exposes Dr. Manhattan, exposes the superheroes, 
and he sends it off to this, I think it's tabloid paper of some kind. Yeah, like a small kind of like uh, down on its luck paper. Yeah, kind of National Enquirer type paper. And so what happens in in the show is that um, there are a lot of people who believe Rorschach and there are a lot of people who wrote Rorschach off as this like crazy dude, which he kind of is. Right. And so what happens now is that superheroes are banned, of course. The wrinkle being that, though, is if you want to be a mass vigilante, I think you have to be like a law enforcement officer to play that role. Oh, okay. So so Silk, Silk Spectre is back. Night Owl is back, obviously played by different actors. And Dr. Manhattan is back um, after um, his uh, self-imposed exile in Mars after the events of Watchmen. And I'm really curious about where this goes because Watchmen, if you remember, was as much an action film as it was about a political as it was a political commentary about the society we live in. Yes. So an HBO famously doesn't pull any punches. So I'm I'm curious as to what direction HBO takes this and what sort of statements they make. Um, by all accounts, the trailer looks amazing. Yeah, and like the I I remember the teaser came out um, maybe a month or so ago, uh, before that, and even that had like a real sense of atmosphere to it. And so, um, yeah, they've got Damon Lindelof uh, from Lost and The Leftovers uh, as the showrunner. Is that a good thing, though? Uh, it can be. I mean, I feel like in the case of Lost and The Leftovers, those were original concepts that Lindelof had developed alongside uh, Carlton Cuse and J.J. Uh, Abrams in the case of Lost. And this one is more, maybe because it's more bound by the the comic and the movie, maybe he'll be kind of reined in a bit. He won't be able to quite, you know, indulge in that J.J. Abrams mystery box type of stuff. <laughs> Uh-huh. But I but it's hard to tell. Like, you know, I feel like Damon Lindelof has always I've always been really interested in his work uh, on its own, regardless of some of the, the critiques people have had of it. So I'll, I'll probably end up watching Watchmen anyway, you know, regardless of of the possible pitfalls. Right. Were you a big fan of the movie? Not so much. I, I definitely I caught up with it a few years after it came out. Um, oh, OK. Part of I like see. a uh, Zack Snyder uh, catch up phase. I think I was in at the time. Um, was it painful? <laughs> no, I, I think like Watchmen is probably one of the his movies that I like more than others in his yeah, catalog. Yeah, of course. Um, but I mean, like Sucker Punch and all the other ones. Yeah, like he's got some pretty cringy stuff in the in his the the back end of his catalog for sure. When Zack Snyder has to follow things frame for frame, he's pretty good. <laughs> when he doesn't, he goes in all sorts of different weird directions. Yeah, he was running his mouth at uh, Comic Con apparently about that stupid Snyder cut again. Yeah, he like people keep uh, this like crowd of like the worst people on Twitter are always saying release the Snyder cut, release the Snyder cut of Justice League. Um, someone actually rented out a plane with one of those banners that flies behind it saying, release the Snyder Cut at, at this year's Comic-Con. Hasn't it been confirmed that there's no such thing as the Snyder Cut? Yeah, like uh, the last I heard, and this was like not long after Justice League came out like two years ago, was that they, they got to a point where when uh, Joss Whedon took over, some of the ideas that theoretically exist in the Snyder Cut were never finished with CGI. So why would Warner Brothers ever spend all of the money it would take to finish the Snyder Cut and release it? It's not like some file is sitting right. on a hard drive somewhere at Warner's. Like, you know, so this this like quasi-conspiracy theory that there's a better version of Justice League out there that, <laughs> that has Zack Snyder's 
stamp on it through and through. Like, I don't know. It's just dumb. It's become like one of these overdone memes. I think it's because a lot of people still believe that the grass is greener on the other mm, side. Yeah. And there's still a part of them that wants to believe Man of Steel and Batman v Superman can be a much better film than they are. And I don't disagree with that notion. Um, I just think that maybe we should let that thing stay yeah. dead. <laughs> he said something like at, at this year's Comic-Con where I, maybe it, I can't remember if it was like a public thing that he said or if he posted something on social media. But he said that his preferred ending for Justice League would have been something like gods will kill gods or something like that. And by that, he meant that Wonder Woman would be the one to kill Steppenwolf. Yeah, well, I don't know. He has. But like, what does it matter? Like, what? It, that's such a cringy way to describe it. Like, he is very self-important. I think that's always been the problem with his films. I do think he has some pretty good ideas in terms of symbolism and conflict. Sure, yeah. He just, he just doesn't illustrate it very well. Well, I'll tell you what I saw recently that was long overdue. Oh, yeah. Actually quite, quite good. Um, Always Be My Maybe on Netflix. The rom-com with um, Randall Park and Ali Wong. Yeah, yeah. So that how was that? That was good. It was, it's a hundred times better than Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Crazy Rich Asians, like, if you think back on it, it's very much a fairy tale story. You know, like, handsome prince, rich prince meets girl, and girl has to prove that she's good enough. Whisks her off her feet. Prince Charming just has, like, no obvious flaws in him whatsoever. Kind of like that. And Always Be My Maybe is about two people who are very flawed, but end up being perfect for each other. And I think I think it was Ali Wong who said that when she was writing this film, she wanted like a a Harry you met Sally for Asians. And it's it definitely does come off like that. But the two leads in there are fantastic. I thought it was a really funny movie. And I don't know. I, I feel like I connect more with the stoner dude um, falling in love with the overachieving girl than the story of a Prince Charming and a girl who is from another society or another class. Like, I don't know, maybe on a personal level, um, Always Be My Maybe just is a little more personal and touching in that sense. But I, I highly recommend it. I, I think it's quite funny and I think you would enjoy it. Yeah, well, I've seen... Um, they uh, Netflix seems to be pretty pretty proud of it because they've they've kept up the marketing for it even after like a couple weeks after it came out but um well sort of connected to that i did see a um asian romance movie uh, a couple of nights ago that's uh, a classic from the 90s uh chunking express by wong kar wai oh yes yeah um, did you like it i really did yeah like i is the first it's very slow though it, eh? it's a bit slow but and he, he's using lots of like um fast motion slow motion uh cinematography techniques to kind of establish a very like uh specific tone for the movie but yeah, i haven't seen the, that forever it's it, it's on the criterion channel they've posted a lot of uh wong kar wai uh, yes. movies on there that was his peak it was the first time that uh, that I'd seen one of his movies, so I was I figured I'd do a bit of research, figure out like where's a good one to start, and try that one out. And I was yeah pleasantly surprised. So yes. I'll, I'll definitely keep looking into some of his other ones. Yeah. So that the main character Takeshi Kaneshiro. Yeah. Yeah. The cop, the guy who plays the cop. Yep. Um, he is very in the '90s. He was like the it star. Like, because of his good looks and, and whatnot. He actually has made some um, interesting films. So, I don't know if you've ever seen House of Flying Daggers. That's another one where he 
um, I thought was quite good. He's done a lot of films. Like he, at one point he had like, I don't know, four or five films coming out every year. He's worked a lot less since, but he was known as the it guy. And um, yeah, if you ever have a chance, um, look up some of his other films. I, th- I think, I don't think he's like, uh, like uh, as good as Tony Leung actually, but he's definitely a different flavor. Yeah, and his character kind of leads the beginning of that movie, but then uh, the the story kind of passes over to the the Tony Leung character. Yeah, uh, yeah. for the for the bulk of the the rest of it. Yeah, Tony Leung, by the way, is in the new Shang Chi movie. Eh? I think he's going to play the villain or something like that. Shang Chi is just like another Marvel comics character. I, I don't uh, not unlike Iron Fist. I don't know much about him, but I mean, yeah, he's like this martial artist, right? Except even though you know, he's a martial artist. He's actually Asian and not white like Iron Fist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we won't talk about Iron Fist anymore. That was a travesty. really was. On one hand, I'm kind of glad that Disney's kind of ditching that Marvel TV universe. But at the same time, I thought Jessica Jones and Luke Cage were all right. And I thought Daredevil was pretty good. Yeah, I really like Daredevil. And yeah, it's it's too bad that uh, it couldn't have been integrated a little bit more into um what disney was doing in the 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 rest of their business but yeah all right well i think that about does it for this episode so um head on over to kinetoscope.ca we're uh gonna be posting a review of the lion king uh it'll probably be up by the time this this episode is available so uh, have a look out for that Uh, and of course we've got tarantino's new movie uh once upon a time in hollywood coming out so uh, that'll be up on the site as a review and we'll also be talking about it in in next week's episode But until that episode, my name is Robert Snow in Toronto. And my name is Jason Chen in Vancouver. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.